In this series, we explore the landscape of students, smartphones, and social media, asking global experts to explain the hard truths about the mental health decline among youth on campuses around the world and inspire us with the evidence-based strategies that will turn the tide. Thank you for being here. Jean Rogers is the director of the Children's Screen Time Action Network, a collaborative community of practitioners, educators, advocates, and parents working to reduce excessive screen use in childhood. She is the author of Kids Under Fire, Seven Simple Steps to Combat the Media Attack on Your Child, the book that has helped countless parents empower their children to make healthy screen choices and become responsible consumers of screen media. Jean hosts the popular webinar series, Action Network Live, and writes a blog for the weekly e-newsletter, News You Can Use. Jean believes that digital wellness in childhood translates to healthy, responsible, successful adults. Jean speaks to the heart of an audience acknowledging people's fears about children's screen time and walking them through practical, proven methods to keep it in check, while illuminating basic child development concepts as they apply to children's digital environments. Well, welcome, Jean. Thank you, Christina. Thanks for having me. So how did you come to work on digital wellness? Why does this matter to you? Well, it's a little bit of a story. So my early career was in advertising. I say I came from the dark side. So I was a writer. I was a marketing and advertising copywriter. And when I had my own children, I realized I started seeing the impact of media, how it was changing them, changing their personalities, uh, changing the way they looked at life. And I wrote a book uh, called Kids Under Fire in 2010 and um, started giving parenting workshops on the topic because realizing parents were starting to feel helpless. And then I went to graduate school, studied child development and education and parenting education. And through a series of serendipitous events, I met our founder, Susan Lynn, who was the founder of, we were originally called Campaign for Commercial Free Childhood. And her new book is fantastic. It's called Who's Raising the Kids, if anybody ever, our audience wants a really fantastic read. Um, but I ended up here and we're now called Fair Play. And it matters to me because... I'm always telling people of the societal cost of all these interactions with digital media. What kind of generations are we creating? What kind of leaders are we creating? And also the individual lives lost. And I'm not talking about just the literal losses, but sort of people who are coming of age, becoming empty vessels because they are living on the content driven by these for-profit companies rather than their own drive, their own internal instincts. Mm. I remember hearing a quote years ago about Facebook when Facebook was, you know, our primary social media channel. And it went something like, when you go into Facebook, you have goals and Facebook has only one goal, which is to make you forget all of those goals that you have. That's a fantastic quote. That's absolutely yeah. right. They want you just to be thinking about uh, one thing and that's monetizing your attention. From your perspective, what is the biggest digital challenge facing students today? 
So when the majority of our world is online, it can be hard to identify authentic relationships. So I'm going to say my answer to that is relationships. But I'm not just talking about romantic relationships or family relationships, but all kinds of relationships with others, with ourselves, with the world around us. And so most employers and potential spouses and those in the community, they're looking for indicators that you have character, that, you know, you mean what you say, that you can stand up for what you believe in, that you are resilient to life's ups and downs. And the online world of materialistic values just encourages us to all be homogenous and, you know, respond to what they want us to respond to rather than our internal goals and drives. Yeah, I know some of the themes that are really important to you are authentic relationships, character development, and also the presence and use of time. Can you speak a little bit about that time piece? Oh, you bet. You know, are we present in our own lives? Even with just TV, we can experience those streaming services as techno avoidance. So time can be, it just can be a time warp where we're trying to avoid difficult feelings by drowning ourselves essentially in whatever online engagement we have. And before we know it, hours have passed. And not only have we not faced those feelings and resolved them, but we've turned into someone that they want us to turn into rather than being conscious, even like conscious of what we're eating, conscious of how we're moving our body. So we've kind of ignored prompts from ourselves and the world around us and just engaged in that time warp. And this is kind of a way that social media and screens can create that time warp and make us miss valuable, precious moments, even if they're just ordinary moments in our daily lives and not the big things, but even the big things, you know, I find that we are missing. I'm really interested in this concept of micro connections, all of the little minor connections that, you know, used to be so prevalent in a daily life, you know, going up to the barista and having them smile at you, having a little bit of, you know, uh, like water cooler chit chat and how we've all but eliminated, you know, through online ordering. I mean, I'm a fan of remote ordering with having three kids, you know, in tow, yeah. like being able to walk in. I'm, I'm always intentional to say thank you and make eye contact, you know, with the person, you know, even as I receive of that. But because I know the power of those connections and, and those connections, you know, form a life and they help us, you know, we mirror one another. That's how we build empathy and all these different things. And so the lack of those opportunities puts the onus on us to sort of create them for ourselves. And I was just speaking with a leader of student activities at Washington and Lee University, and they were sharing about this tradition they have called the speaking tradition. And it's sort of a base agreement when you enter this campus that you say hello to every person you encounter. So you walk across campus and the expectation is that you make eye contact and you say hello. Of course, when you're in halls and there's 150 people around you, that's not an expectation, like saying hi 150 times. But I just love that just base agreement, you know, that we're present in time and space. The people that are near us have value. We're going to express that value to them in an active way. And it's like sort of building the awareness and then building these practices of meaningful connection on a regular basis that I think is hugely important for students, especially for those who've basically never been taught it before. I have a little story about that. When I got off Facebook, um, 
because I'm online so much for work. And even though my cousins are on there and friends are on there and they wish I were on there, I just had to detach from it as I'm certain, you know, members of our audience have done. But I had called a friend that I hadn't talked with for about six months. And she said, oh, I'm at my mother's funeral. And I said, what? And she said, I thought you would have seen it on Facebook. And nobody of our friend group called me. And in the past, somebody would have called and said, do you want to go in on flowers for Dawn's mother? Dawn's mother passed. I had no idea. So I was shocked, A, that she picked up her cell phone at her mother's funeral. And B, that all those connections seem to be just uh, dissolving because of social media. They They were all connected on Facebook, but I was not there. And so I was immediately, you know, it, this is joy of missing out. <laughs> <laughs> I sometimes think it is a gift to me that I have a couple of people in my life, one uncle in particular, who's got some pretty severe mental disabilities and is just entirely not on the internet. Like I have to be 100% intentional in the ways that I connect with him. And that only way is picking up the telephone or meeting up with him in person. It's so easy to forget people that are outside of that periphery. I even remember when I made the decision to do that initial 31 day fast from the internet, there were people that were just like, cool, like see you in a month. It's like, you don't even exist. Like, you know, mentors of mine who were just sort of like blatantly said, you know, it'll be essentially like you don't exist. And so that intentionality, even phoning people for their birthdays, getting across that little social anxiety, right? That threshold and being like, I'm not just going to text, I'm going to call. And now people, when you, you know, when you make a phone call, they think someone has died. Um, they, (laughs) they, They think it's an emergency, but all of these like social cues, social agreements around when do you call, when do you not call? There is no agreement anymore. Like you believe that that person should have phoned, right? Or someone should have phoned, but apparently they don't. So, you know, we're navigating very uncharted waters when it comes to social etiquette. We are. The other thing I have found that maybe others have found is when you show up at a party, like a holiday party, it used to be you would catch up with people. You would find out what was going on. I went to a holiday party this year and I found that everyone knew already what was going on in each other's lives. And they were already saying, oh, I saw your daughter got married. I saw, but I didn't know any of this because I wasn't on social. So it's almost like before I go to a party now, I have to check Facebook and find out what's going on with everyone instead of having that be the purpose of getting together. I love the storytelling, though. It's sort of like, what are you talking about then if you're not talking about those things at a party, right? You already know, like, where do you go? Of course, there's always more things to talk about. But I actually remember when my dad finally did get on social media. And instead of telling me the story about the fishing trip he went on, you know, and all of its you know, like he would describe it to me and he would kind of take me on that journey. He'd be like, oh no, did you see the pictures I posted? I'm like, I don't want to look at your posts. I want you to tell me about it. Um, And that was kind of like the last um, remaining, you know, relationship with that kind of dynamic. Let's come back to the conversation because this series really is about student and youth, mental health and digital wellness. Tell us about your vision for the Screen Time Action Network for those who have never heard of it before. Well, the Screen Time Action Network, we launched in 2018, and we knew at the time that there were individuals, professionals, parents, and organizations struggling to make progress on issues of digital device use and finding that it was an uphill battle. By coming together under one umbrella, 
we thought we could stop recreating the wheel. There's a lot of people doing this work, but also make more progress together. So collaborate instead of working individually. So and there's also the approach, you know, we would say once and for all, the narrative of personal responsibility is false, that the industry would like to make you think that parents are not being strict enough and that kids don't have enough willpower. And we say at the Action Network, it's a guilt-free zone here. You know, devices and apps are designed to be addictive and it's not a fair fight. Our work groups are the heart of the network and that's where people who want to dive deeper into topics like screens in schools, online harms, mental health, early childhood, they come together and they create smaller communities within our large global network. We're about 2,300 members now globally and amplify each other's work and work together to create resources, really helpful, concrete, practical resources and advocacy projects. So we find there's so much power when someone comes in discouraged, they're able to be in a group of 10 to 20 people and say, let's work together on this problem. And everyone brings their experience and their different uh, skills to the table. That's an amazing vision. Let's talk a little bit more about the responsible advocacy versus personal responsibility and guilt. What is one, since you've begun this work, what's one big win you've seen in terms of that advocacy and something shifting within big tech to start to acknowledge <laughs> the fact that they are designing in a way that's manipulative and addictive? Or can you just share like one success story you've had so far? Um, there are several, thank goodness. Um, but one that comes to mind right now is that um, Josh Golan, our executive director, and I were asked to speak at UXPA conference last year, which is the User Experience Professionals Association. And we got the call. They said, we're parents too, and we want to do what's right. We want to understand child development. We presented on child development and screens. And that was very helpful because the flip side of that is we've seen that these companies hire psychologists to exploit child development when they're designing apps. So we thought there's a chink in the wall that we've gotten through that these um, designers are asking for our advice. And that would be a vision, you know, a hopeful vision that a child development expert be in every design team when the app is being designed for children. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's an amazing story. Thank you for sharing that. The smallest change can have a massive impact on students' lives. That's why Jomo Campus exists. For North American universities and colleges that need to support the well-being of digitally native students, Jomo Campus is a first-year digital well-being program that increases student social engagement and academic focus. Students need to learn digital well-being principles and practices early to help them thrive. Imagine a flourishing campus where students, faculty, and staff prioritize in-person connection over digital distraction. Imagine community. We work directly with your wellness or student life department to customize and deliver our proven first-year digital well-being program. Book a discovery call with us to learn more by visiting jomocampus.com. That's J-O-M-O campus.com.
What are some principles in your view for wise digital decision making? If you kind of like put the lens again towards younger people. You bet. So I have a few thoughts on this. The first one I'll say is ask yourself a simple question. Is this digital activity one that will keep me on the device or am I learning something that will get me off it? So that's kind of a like a litmus test there. I like to watch recipes being made and then try them. You know, we've had children during the pandemic. They were learning how to cook and then cooking their families a meal. Um, but other things that children can do, learn to do online, simple things like teach your dog to roll over. It's really fun to watch those videos and see how it's done and then go offline and do it. Learn how to whistle with a blade of grass um, versus building a Minecraft server, say that's going to keep you online. So that's a little litmus test. I like to mention two special partners that we have at the Action Network who have resources to help with wise digital decision making for young people. And that would be Digital Wellness Institute with the Digital Flourishing Wheel. I know you know um, know it well. And then every school, and they have a tool called the EdTech Triangle. So just something to post, something to have handy and see, am I balancing my life digital life and my offline life in a healthy way. And then finally, I would say get out, get out of the house or the apartment. And I kind of came up with three Ds here, drive, date, and discuss. And that studies say people are getting their license later, young people, or not at all, because their world is online. And so they don't crave that independence. And they're not dating, they're not learning about the world together. They're learning about it instead through this kind of shuttered, curated online community, which may or may not be in the best interests of their development. So just getting out is kind of another principle of balance there. I know a high school teacher um, in Toronto where I live and work who was noticing, this is already a few years ago, that kids weren't flirting. They were not they were not flirting. They were not, you know, they could, they were not figuring out how to relate to one another, you know, in, in a healthy developmental way in terms of like, you know, attraction and dating and these types of things. And so she would like explicitly tell them to flirt and she would like block time in her class and just be like, I'm stepping out. <laughs> like, just like flirt, like just get, you talk to each other and just like, like, yeah. So I love those strategies. Drive, like learn to drive. That's the responsibility. That's excellent. And then the dating piece. And then talk to me a little bit more about what you mean when you say discuss. Oh, yes. Yeah. I didn't address that really. What I mean by that is share your thoughts with others that in with one other or two others or three others, not with one million others. <laughs> Um, because when you are able to share your thoughts in a small group, then there's that discussion. Mm -hmm. There's that sharing of experiences rather than, you know, critical comments coming back or that or the cyberbullying starting. If you're able to express all kinds of feelings, excitement, fear, frustration with each other and have that in-person community it's going to support you a lot better than an online community that may be judgmental, that may be just in another plane than you are. Hmm. Yeah, the more direct communication is, the more intimate it is. 
you do feel like you can express yourself more freely. There's vulnerability there. You know, obviously, if it's a safe, like a psychologically safe environment, physically safe environment, but again, learning to discuss things that are often challenging, you know, fraught topics on the internet that don't play out so well in those public spaces. I think those are wonderful strategies. you know, those of us in this space are coming across studies all the time. And it's um, a very exciting time in terms of finally seeing these longitudinal studies, right, showing the correlations between smartphone and social media use and mental health. Um, Even if, you know, the results are bad, at least now we can sort of meaningfully do things with that knowledge. What's one study related to digital wellness that you think everybody should know about? Um, you know, one study that I think is really critical for people to take a look at right now is the Surgeon General's Advisory on Social Media and Mental Health. So those advisories from the Surgeon General are reserved for serious public health challenges. And it's really a balanced view if you take a look at it. it there's no fear mongering, but solid statistics and impact results um, regarding the loneliness epidemic, anxiety, and worse. And the report, though, allows you to weigh the benefits so that you can decide for yourself. But I think that that's a really important study. I want to mention one more, if that's okay. Of and course. that is um, phone-free schools. We, I haven't really had the opportunity to mention that yet in our chat, but Jonathan Haidt um, has a study on phone-free schools. It's actually called The Case for Phone-Free Schools, his research. And it's a really interesting take on, you know, how that intimacy that you just mentioned, that's such a great word for this topic, can be restored when the devices are removed from schools. Because so much happens in school, like you said, flirting, character development, all these things, relationships with teachers, um, with important teachers who can shape your life. And many schools are starting to use yonder pouches. You may have heard of those where Mm -hmm. cell phone is locked during the day and they're starting to see benefits. And I think it's catching on. But that study by Jonathan Haidt is another important one to take a look at. One of the episodes in this series, I'm going to be talking to uh, the leaders at the Buxton School and yes. the co-founders at the Light Phone. And as you know, that entire campus went light. So they got rid of all the smartphones, including faculty administration, yes. and all embraced the light, truly minimalist phone. I have a Light Phone. I can vouch for the fact that it is it's truly minimalist um, and the impact there. So an example of, you know, a phone free or nearly phone free phone. And, you know, they'll say at Light Phone that the difficulty in using their product, they see it as a feature, not a bug. You know, it is quite painful sometimes to text on it. I have huge thumbs. It's like a genetic (laughs) anomaly and texting on that tiny little thing is like truly painful. And it does give you pause. Like, is this really worth it? it. Is this worth like, do do I really need to send this text? Um, But yeah, that's like, that's one of their sort of core messages. So I love that you're um, bringing up the Jonathan Haidt work, of course, um, the work he's doing with Gene Twenge as well. You know, that collaborative review they're doing, looking at the smartphone and social media to use over the last 10 years and its global impact on teenage mental health. Um, An amazing resource. I'll also share that in the show notes. What is one action you think a young person can take to meaningfully transform their digital life? I know we talked about your tip to drive and date and discuss. What's one more action you think that could really move the needle? 
So I think one very important action is trust yourself and make decisions based on your own moral compass. You know what this is all doing to you and your peers and your siblings, and you don't have to live as a slave to these corporate profits. And hand in hand with that is find a mentor think intergenerationally. So our Next Gen Connect program will start in January this year. We pair up a youth leader who has ideas on how to transform the digital world with an expert from our network in the area of their interest. But it doesn't have to be in a formal program like that. That's an opportunity. Um, students get stipends and they learn a lot from our 12-week program. But think intergenerationally. So adults know what the pre-digital world was like and you know the benefits of the digital world and when you combine those two i think some elements are both are great some pieces of the past though can help us to design that healthier future i love that and i might even add to that you know find a peer <laughs> yes. you know to go on that journey with you you know start with that discussion like you mentioned before you know having a discussion about like hmm i really don't like how you know, TikTok, for example, makes me feel, or maybe I don't like how TikTok makes me feel after one and a half hours, you know, <laughs> on the on the app. <laughs> and, you know, just be honest with a peer about what you're feeling or what you might be struggling with and make a small commitment to make a change to your digital habits and just sort of journey, you know, journey together. We always, you know, the whole idea of like, I thought it was just me, yes. but it isn't. Yeah. And that's always the case, right? I always thought it was just me. It's never just you. All of us are struggling, adults, children, teens alike. So being honest about what's working, what's not working, having those conversations with your peers and then being bold enough to take an action. You know, you know, we hear stories like the Luddite Club in New York City, where these kids that are in like a true like ecosystem of like hustle, right? Like we talk about like the hustle capital of the world. We're looking at an LA, a New York City, a Tokyo, you know, these kids in New York City made the decision to get rid of their phones and create this Luddite club. And, and we're starting to see these types of movements and give yourself permission to do something a little countercultural and just sort of see what happens. I have my own story of following my curiosity and doing an offline experiment and that, you know, sort of changing the course of my life. So you and I both know that that can happen at all kinds of different seasons of life. So I, I love that. Um, Your support is so important. Having someone to walk that journey with you and, and starting clubs, like you're saying. Mm hmm. So this is the Jomo cast where we explore how embracing the joy of missing out on the right things helps us thrive in the digital age. Jean, what would you say Jomo means to you? Well, it means I don't have to know everything. <laughs> so then there's a freedom in that. Uh, I'm leaving on vacation tomorrow and I'm planning on taking email off of my phone. It means I can have friends both online and in person, but I don't always have to be connected with them. I can have time and space, you know, periods of introspection in my life that reveal, you know, that may reveal new things, new treasures that I might miss had I always had to maintain that online connection. Mm, I love it. I love that so much. Thanks again for being with me today. Thank you, Christina. Thank you so much for your work with Jomo. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review it, or share it with a friend. You're the key to spreading Jomo. The internet is not what it used to be. You need a roadmap to thrive in the digital age. 
I've created a new free Jomo guide and it's available now at christinacrook.com. Jomo is the joy of missing out on the right things, but sometimes it's difficult to know what those right things are. I'll guide you through a simple four-step digital house cleaning process to clear away your digital clutter and make it easier to get at what really matters. That's the joy of missing out. Get your free Jomo guide today at christinacrook.com.